0: World Association of Writers. The initials, P-E-N, stand for poets, playwrights, essayists, editors, novelists, and by implication of the initials, for all writers. Penn was founded in London in 1921 by John Galsworthy, who became its first international president. American Penn was founded in 1922, with Booth Tarkington as its first president. The present president of international Penn is the old novelist, V.S. Pritchett, The present president of American PEN is the young novelist Jerzy Kosinski. PEN has over 80 centres in 60 countries of Europe, North and South America, Asia and Africa. World membership is around 10,000. American PEN, which has its headquarters in New York but draws its members from all over the United States, has 1,500 members. Membership is by invitation of the membership committee, extended to published writers of demonstrated accomplishment. What is PEN for, and what does PEN do? PEN exists to promote worldwide friendship and intellectual cooperation among men and women of letters. PEN is a purely literary association, working in a practical way on all matters of concern to writers generally. Better protection of literary copyrights, better deals for translators, workshops for beginning writers in underprivileged areas, lectures and receptions for foreign authors coming here. Jersey Kosinski, the novelist and president of the American Pen Center, has just announced that the center will present annually the Ernest Hemingway Foundation Award of $3,000 for the best first novel by an American published published during the previous year. This new award is donated by the Ernest Hemingway Foundation, established by PEN, PEN member Mary Hemingway in memory of her husband. This award is the latest expression of Penn's concern for the plight of the beginning writer. Penn has no politics, but it is against the imprisonment of writers for political reasons, and Penn members in the Penn Charter pledge themselves, quote, to oppose any form of suppression of freedom of expression in the country and the community to which they belong. Penn is therefore against all censorship of the written word. Talking today over WNYC Radio under the auspices of PEN, PEM, are Shirley Hazard novelist and Thomas Keneally novelist. Shirley Hazard and Thomas Keneally are both Australians and are going to talk about today's writers in Australia. Shirley Hazard was born in Sydney, Australia and went to school there. Later accompanying her parents, her father was an Australian diplomat, to the Far East. She first worked for 10 years for the United Nations, but resigned in 1962 to devote herself whole time to her writing. Her stories have appeared in The New Yorker, and a collection of them, Cliffs of Fall, appeared in 1963. Her first novel, The Evening of the Holiday, appeared in 1966, The Bay of Noon, in 1970. In 1973, her study of what she calls, quote, the self-destructiveness of the United Nations, defeat of an ideal, appeared. is presently at work on another novel. She and her husband, Francis Stigmuller, were both nominated for the National Book Award. Thomas Keneally, author of seven previous novels, has just had his Blood Red, Sister Rose, published here by the Viking Press, to very enthusiastic reviews. It is an historical novel about Joan of Arc. Like Shirley Hazard, Mr. Keneally was born in Sydney. He studied for the Catholic priesthood and also for the bar before he began writing fiction in 1964. Of his seven novels prior to Brad Red, Sister Rose, two, The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith and Three Chairs for the Paraclete, won the Miles Franklin Award for the Best Australian Novel. He has also won the 1970 Australian Bicentenary Novel Prize and the Royal Society of Literature's award in 1973. Shirley Hazard and Thomas Keneally, Two distinguished young Australian novelists will discuss over WNYC Radio, under the auspices of Penn, the Australian novel of today. Can I just mention that one of my early my, one of my favourite Australian novelists was Hel- Helen Simpson, whose boomerang introduced me to Australia and Australian writing? Tell me about today's writers.
1: Well, the Australian government has taken a, a direct interest in uh, writing so that it's become uh, the country's become a sort of haven for writers. I don't know how long this is going to last the way I don't know the, how long the, the government's going to last, but at the moment there's a tremendous amount being published. It's very easy for young writers that have shown any sort of talent to get a grant off which they can live. And there's a great amount being published but something new is happening in that when when I was young, uh, or, or since you introduced us as young writers, I went destroy I was the
0: <laughs> illusion.
1: <laughs> when I was younger, uh, we looked on New York and London as the great metropolitan centres and the places where you wanted to be published. Uh, they're not like that. The younger writers in their twenties aren't like that anymore. They don't give. A dam about England or <laughs> New York, and they want to identify their own background to their own people, and I think that's very healthy. It's not economically healthy for them, perhaps, but I, I think their writing will, though not immediately, reach the wider world. And uh, therefore, in the 1890s, there was a great movement of Australian nationalism in writing. Now there's a national school, not in the sense that it's nationalistic, but in the sense that it's writing has immediate validity for the country in which it arises and uh, will ultimately be discovered by the world but not now.
0: How was it when when you were growing up in Australia? I think very much the
2: same. I think that I have been, I won't say a different approach from Mr Keneally, but I think I come at it from a, a different point of view because Although i I think this uh, I agree very much that this development in Australia is very, very interesting, and the government it's a marvelous thing that the government has done as I understand if i 'm correct that for instance, they will subsidize a first book of poems or a novel which is agreed to be of quality by competent people, they will subsidize it with a publisher which is, of course, that that reaches very much home as we're speaking in New York, where now, with the state of publishing, the expenses of producing books, young writers are not able to get first books published. And one does wonder what the future of the novel is when you hear that several publishers of note have refused now to Take even to consider mm. new novels. And the Australian government has gone in completely the opposite direction under Mr. Whitlam. Also, I understand I'm a beneficiary myself. They have a, a system which I think already operates in Canada, of paying royalties for copies in libraries. Authors get royalties for copies in libraries. And in fact, I opened a, an absolutely unsolicited envelope the other day and got some of these uh, highly desirable royalties. I think all these things are in favour of civilization. where I think I perhaps have a slightly different point of view is that I would regret it if young writers in Australia really had no interest in what they were thought of in the world at large because, and I understand, of course, that it's, of course, it's very important they should be independent, more independent in their view. But I don't, I wish that this division didn't exist in the sense that I think the mainstream of all this is English literature and something, anything of value should move in and swim around with the rest of literature. One of the reasons i th- i think as uh, I feel very very much in America, where I've lived a very long time now, I think that one of uh, one of the reasons why Australian literature is still not known in the world at large, though it's much more known in the british Isles i think than in America is that it hasn't it hasn't got cachet it hasn't got critical cachet and for instance i as i as I see that translations from other languages, which is always, of course, very interesting that translations should be done from Japanese or from Hungarian or from whatever language, if works of quality can come to us, they ought to come as fast as possible. But I think that there is even more of a, a market for publishing such works in America, in, in such literary works, novels, for instance, than for Australian novels to be published here and yet so much is happening now in australia especially among young young people and it has this, as you say it has this stamp of a new a new ethos on it something very interesting in itself if i can just add that when i was a child i'm sure it must still be true to a certain extent when i was a child in australia english literature was hanging very large over us, and in a I have to say in a way that was absolutely delightful to me. and one grew up in not exactly a fantasy world, but in a world of this great literature which did not apply to one's own natural circumstances. The seasons were reversed, the the how should you say the botany and ornithology had nothing to do with what we saw, and yet it seemed the real thing, and that was because we were deprived of this sense of a literature of our Mm -hmm. own, although there were already then, uh, there was a body, quite a considerable body of Australian writing of quality. But when I, for instance, I remember when I was a child really and crossed the equator for the first time, I felt, well, now it's come right. Now there will be the right kinds of
0: flowers and they'll come in April instead of in September. That's right. Could you tell us a few names – it's very exciting, all these young people who are writing – could you tell us a few names of ones who've been published and…
1: Yes, well, uh, a young man called Peter Carey, a short story writer, and uh, a young man called Frank Morehouse, who's particularly good, uh, a writer of what he calls discontinuous narratives. Um, He has just written a book called The Electric Experience, which is obtainable in the British Commonwealth, about a soft drink manufacturer on the south coast of New South Wales in the twenties and thirties and it's quite brilliant it's like Babbitt it's it really is comparable with Babbitt uh,
0: that's very exciting but
1: what uh, what Shirley just said i I agree with you know that when I went to school we were taught English literature we were not taught American contemporary or British contemporary literature and uh, it's very hard in a country which is so much its own country, like Australia, with so much its own landscape, and where the sun won't stop shining, to identify with Far seasons of mists and <laughs> mellow fruitfulness, and um, uh, the, the therefore the imaginative young person lived in a split world.
0: But wasn't this rather good? Because uh, some, uh, a slight degree of schizophrenia is probably good for the writer, isn't he? Uh, this yes, is...
2: I'd agree with that. <laughs> I think one one should have something to cut one's teeth on. Yes.
1: Uh, I think it made Australian writers too apologetic about their own background, too apologetic about the material they were presenting. Uh, it gave them... What I was trying to say earlier, Shelley, it gave them a, an unnecessary... Um, urge to, um, to universalize their material, an urge that no Russian or American writer just uh, feels no, he okay. has, has to. Or an
2: urge to emulation.
1: Yes, no, no. and uh, amongst the poetry is particularly rich, Anne. Uh, I love the poetry because it's um, it, it has a, a continual youth about it because of its distance from fads it misses whole cycles of fads. Yes. And so yes. it has a continuing uh, valid voice yes. about it. And that uh, is isn't that exciting. interesting, mm-hmm. yes, because and, uh, a lot
2: of energy is used in keeping up.
1: Yes. Though but not
2: by the best people, I
1: think. Uh, A.D. Hope is an old poet who was published in this country by Viking Press and who is very well-known in poetic circles. Um, but there are many young ones, Bob Adamson, uh, Les Murray who are quite brilliant. In fact, uh, there's a man called Les Murray, who is um, um, one of my two or three favourite, as a poetry reader, one of my two or three favourite poets.
0: Really? I mean, right, way up in, in, in any class? Yes.
2: There are some good women poets too, in Australia.
1: Yes, oh. at the, the risk of being accused of uh, uh, of all sorts of uh, sexual <laughs> politics, I. I can't think of their names at the moment, but there's Judith Wright, <laughs> yes, who is yes. a, a middle-aged woman, who is a brilliant poet, but uh, people that come to Australian poetry say how old-fashioned, because it does miss out on these cycles of fads, but I think perhaps in 20 or 30 years' time it will...
2: Oh, yes. I, be
1: seen in perspective.
2: I feel so much about this, the energy that's wasted. But I think, by at least secondary people and sometimes lesser, ter- sometimes tertiary people, I don't think that authors of, of real inner authority do waste that time. But I remember, for instance, I remember that Cocteau, who, my husband wrote The Life of Cocteau, and there, there were things that were very amusing about about Cocteau shifting around, and he didn't exactly waste energy, that was part of his genius, changing like a chameleon from one thing to the other. But he he said during, I think it was sometime about um, 90, just after the, uh, after the First World War, he said, the adjective is the mortal enemy of the writer. And then a few years later he said, well, the only thing to do now is go back to the classical approach, go back to academicism, because... Now all that's been done. And I think that there is a great deal in this idea of having to conform. It's just using up, just wasting energy and wasting time. Mm-hmm. It's a terrorising thing that happens, especially to young writers, I think.
0: What, how do you rate to your Patrick White? He's very much admired outside of Australia. Is he very much admired inside of Australia?
1: Well, when he began, uh, and he was, uh, as Shirley might know, he was um, pilloried in Australia. Yes. Uh, because of the rather uh, thick, rich blend of prose he writes, um, the idiosyncratic sort of writing he, he does, um, he was uh, dismissed and mocked, and uh, really the, his persistence in remaining in the country when he didn't have to, because he's a different kind of Australian to me, he, he is one of, the, one of those old squatting families, pastoralist families, with a private income and a Cambridge uh, education. He could have gone off, as so many of the, those people did, and become a an Englishman, and um, he didn't. He was He's...
2: actually born in England. Yes. No, literally born in England. So
1: that he stayed on and uh, took all this abuse. He's not very amenable to abuse either. And then, after the success of Voss and during the '60s, he, he came to be recognized, and uh, now the pendulum has, has uh, swung the other way, and he's a sort well, of cultural god. Prize, god he? And he won <laughs> the Nobel Prize, and he's a cultural god. But um, I, th- I think he's a great, monumental, uh, massive, massive writer. What do you think of him? Matt? I admire Shirley. him
2: immensely. I think this is one of the very few great novelists of the century. I think he's an extraordinary man and, and extraordinary writer, and his books. Well, it's true that they give them; they have a monumental aspect just by dimensions. I think that almost everyone who comes to them is surprised by the subtlety and tenderness of, it's, it, I think, very Proustian in, in many ways, his writing. I don't mean in the sense of emulation at all, but it, it has a poetry in it, I think, very subtle and beautiful. I, for me, Boss is a masterpiece. And I admire all his work, but that book, I think, quite extraordinary. Oh, and there are wonderful stories of his, too. That, there's one called Down at the Dump. I don't know if you know that. Yes, it's I know that's, that's in story. his collection, yes. the burnt ones. And this, uh, I think he has done, just as you say about the Russian novelists, for instance, he has done the the really immensely difficult and great thing in writing, which is to make this, this place of his upbringing and his, well, his attachment, to make it terribly important, and yet unimportant in the way that his uh, his literature is, uh, belo- yes. he, his writing belongs to all literature, but there's no question as to where it emanates from.
1: Yes. And he,
2: it's been, obviously been important to him to stay in the face of all this thing, he has, it's, uh, I only, I've met him only once very briefly, and I don't know him at all, but I can see from his writing, that this enormous force of character which enabled him to persevere with book after book, which no doubt had very little commercial recognition mm-hmm. at the time. And it's been a lifetime now. He's a man in his 60s, a lifetime of this sort of integrity. I admire him immensely. I love his writing.
1: As a matter of fact, uh, he typifies the difficulty in that he has never been... Tra- uh, published in paperback in the U.S. until now, mm. following winning the Nobel Prize, yes. uh, and his book *The Eye of the Storm*, the one that was written immediately before he's winning the Nobel Prize, has has now come out in paperback. Yes. and I, I think I really think that any reading uh, person who hasn't met him has. It had been like not having met W. H. Auden or Gunter Grass or.
2: You mean in one's reading habits. In, 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 yes. Not
1: having encountered him uh, has a great reading experience yes, ahead of them. Yes, has
0: enormous pleasure in store. Yes,
2: yes, oh, you put him really up
0: in that in that sort of class. I mean. In the, well, yes, without uh, yes. hesitation. Yes. 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 Yeah. Now tell me about these young people. Very interesting. I think. Do they come mostly from towns or from the country? Is there, is there much difference in Australia between what you call the pastoral? You use the word pastoral background and the the city um, for, 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 for these young poets. Uh,
1: no, not not really. Most poets are city dwellers. Um, most Australians are city dwellers. Uh, that's the irony of Australia. Although it it has the Uh, reputation of being a frontier country uh, because of the uh, immensity of country that it takes to support a a flock of sheep or a herd of cattle Um, and because of mechanised farming and all that sort of thing um, most people live, most Australians at least more than two out of every three live in a highly urbanised sort of way and most of the poets live that way too
0: That's fascinating I wouldn't have known that Was that so when when you were young? Oh yes,
2: and don't you think in general although of course one can think of exceptions but writers tend to gravitate to cities don't you think? Oh yes, yes indeed who stay in rural circumstances
1: Uh, Les Murray, this poet I mentioned uh, who is probably published in United States journals Um, he came from a dairy farm originally but uh he lives in the city now
2: there's something about uh, this question of uh, the the indigenous character of books which i think uh, is changing though i think that the world is a rather different place and and in an, in an accelerating way from this pattern of literature where it has been very important to deal with one's origins and one's place the territory where one's writing originated and I think, for instance, if I'm right, Patrick, has, Patrick White has said that he had a choice to make at a certain time in his life. I think after he had served in the war in Europe, he decided to come back and settle in Australia because he he wanted to be he wanted to live in the place of his origins, no matter how difficult. He wanted to write out of that knowledge. And I think something has changed since then because, in in the sense that the world is. The communications have intensified so much. The world is smaller and also much more on the verge of emergency. There's much less sense of continuity. There's much less sense of place. For one thing, cities especially have become very much the same, unfortunately. There's a uniformity which is brought on by overpopulation and mass communication. And I don't mean it's total, but I think it is there people travel more easily, and they don't tend to grow up in the same place. Even within Australia or America, they may have lived, by the time they're 21, they may have lived perhaps in half a dozen different places. And I think that this is, I won't say destroying, but it's convulsing this question of what your origins are. Of course, when one remains within the same country, and particularly when that country is Australia, where there isn't a great diversity of, of population, I think that there there is there is something still which remains to be brought out in this in this um, traditional sense but it i feel it's breaking down. I don't feel that people necessarily would have writers would necessarily have that choice to make that Patrick White had to make all over again
1: no uh the as I say these young writers uh the the playwrights too uh write unapologetically and blatantly about Australian subjects yes. and uh they um, don't even consider clearing out to London. Uh, as you know, when when we were young things, the urgency, there was an urgency in every talented young person yes, to clear out to London um, or, or to New York. And um, many talented people did so because they found the Australian... Environment still too much a frontier environment and still too much hostile to uh, to uh, creative sensitivity and so on, and um, they were they were lost. They found what Patrick White found that in fact he's uh, he was uh, rooted in the Australian environment. Although he he wasn't a very obvious product. He wasn't a lifesaver. He wasn't big, tall, brown. And, and good with women, and uh, a great beer drinker, or, or any of those obvious things. He was um, a most unobvious Australian, but he could tell where his origins lay. Uh, that same clarity of vision didn't operate in a lot of other people who went off to, to London and became uh, alienated from their origins, and I think suffered from it. Um,
2: you don't think it might be a question of degree of talent also?
1: To to an extent, degree of talent, yes. I, I mean, I think his choice in remaining was a choice that was inherent in his yes. great talent as a novelist, to that clarity that tells, tells you what you must do to succeed artistically, if not commercially. Um, the, the longer I write, the more I'm convinced that... Uh, It's ultimately temperamental and personality influences and choices that determine how good your book's going to be. And I think uh, that's an example of it.
0: Yes. Um, Your own choice has been to write mostly about Australia. Most of your novels uh, are about mm -hmm. Australia. But not the new one. Not the new one, Not the new one, one, which is a historical novel, quite very very different and... and, uh, can I
2: can I mention that Mr. Keneally's written about Joan about before? She's oh. slipped in before.
1: She slipped into a few of the novels I've written That's in the past exciting. about I Australia.
0: I think it's very interesting. Yes, that yeah. is very interesting indeed. Well, um, we're, we've uh, been talking with um, Shirley Hazard and Thomas Keneally, two distinguished young Australian novelists. Mr. Keneally has just published here with Viking, Blood Red, Sister Rose... A historical novel about Joan of Arc. And Shirley, you say he wrote before about Joan of Arc. Well he should tell <laughs> she, she slipped in she slipped into other, other novels. He's writ, this is his eighth novel. And Shirley Hazard, whose um, last book was about the United Nations defeat of an ideal and who is at work on a novel now, thank you both very much, um, Shirley Hazard and Thomas Keneally, for being with penn portraits today and discussing over WNYC Radio contemporary Australian writing and writers. Thank you.